Proclaiming that it's creature a cock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. <laughs> and open the door to join us for the 47th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Flaptastic. Thanks for asking. Mike. And I've got a cane toad in my throat, Meredith. We meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. Arf! Arf! To talk about our favorite animals. While we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So, saddle up that miniature horse, hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Oh, Meredith, cane toads are coming. Cane toads are coming. I do have the cane toad blues in my throat right now, but it's okay. That's right. It's not COVID. I did get sick. I got tested, but it's not COVID. We're all good. It's just a cold. What a strange time. I know. Although I will say like as a queer person who exists amongst people who have like a system through which like they've experienced a plague and Mm. part of health is testing and status and negative and positive. It's a bit of a intense um, moment to be hearing everybody speaking in those terms. <laughs> yeah, about getting tested and negative results. Yeah. Staying positive, testing negative. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> For the uninitiated, the cane toad blues is from, what's the name of it, Meredith? Oh, gosh. Oh, cane toads, colon, an unnatural history. That's right. One of the... Best documentaries in all of the Kingdom Animalia. Without a doubt. Highly recommended. It's available on YouTube. Yeah. It's like the best 40 minutes you can spend. Meredith talked about the Cane Toad several episodes ago, probably sometime in like the 20s. Yeah. It was like right at the start of um, quarantine. I remember that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like back in March or April that I did it. Well, Meredith, what was your weekend animals like? It was kind of like... You know, just normal, and by normal, I mean, like, just not a lot of interaction other than seeing some fun dogs at the park. But yesterday, I was at the park, where most of my animal encounters happen these days, in, um, on the, on the path, like, behind where the baseball diamonds are. It's this kind of, like, wooded area that kind of ramps up to, essentially, where, uh, like, the huge cathedral is up around Columbia, here where I live. Uh Uh-huh. Lately, I've seen this groundhog kind of hanging out over there I so it's been kind of common for me to see this groundhog he generally scurries away when people come by but yesterday I was coming up on the part of the path where I know the groundhog likes to hang out and I saw this guy had gotten off of his bike and was just like watching something I was like oh I bet the groundhog's there so I went up and kind of peeked around and I was like oh yeah he's here and the guy looks at me he's like have you seen this thing are you seeing this thing and I was like oh yeah I watched that thing eat a muffin last week (laughs) And the guy is just like so like he keeps looking at me like like are you are you seeing this? He was just so like his mind was blown at the sight of this groundhog. He's like it's a it's a woodchuck, and I was like yeah groundhogs man yeah. And then but I was like keeping walking because you know I'm trying to keep my heart rate up so I didn't want to like break pace. But I just love that this guy is clearly riding by on his bike and stopped his bike ride to get off his bike and stand and stare in amazement and wonder at this groundhog. But I will say this groundhog looks well-fed, 
if the muffin I saw him eating last week isn't any indication. He's eating well, and he his fur looks so soft, and I just really want to cuddle him because he looks so squishy and fat and soft, and I think that guy really would have liked to cuddle him too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, that's really nice. Yeah, I love that this man was just so, like, astounded at, at the natural world. I was like, welcome to my life, man. Yeah. That's how I feel every day I go outside. <laughs> well, do you think that he was a kindred spirit, or do you think he was experiencing this joy and wonderment for the first time? I don't know. He was like an older guy, and by, judging by his accent, which was just very, like, New York, maybe he's just a man who's just spent his whole life in the city, and so his encounters with wildlife are limited And so to see it like a groundhog, I mean, that park is lousy with creatures. There's birds and turtles and Uh geese and pigeons and squirrels. Children. Dogs, all of the above. So the groundhog is kind of a rarer sighting, but I was just so blown away. He was like an older guy, maybe in his like mid-60s or something, but just his wonderment was so adorable. Yeah, that's really nice to hear. I like that a lot. Yeah. So what about you? How was your weekend animals? Well, I feel like the majority of my animal experiences this week was encountering dogs that were protesting their walks. (laughs) And they would just sit down and refuse to move. I love seeing that. Yeah. And I guess I related to that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was not mad to be experiencing it. And a couple of times I tried to engage with their humans about it to just be like, oh, ha ha, same. But nobody really seemed to get like my angle of humor, which was one of those moments where I felt like a Midwestern boy out of right. my comfort zone. You know what I mean? Like out of, <laughs> I was reminded that I'm not from where I live. Right. And then, you know, Meredith, the other thing that I did, which I want to recommend to you, is that I rode the ferry. Oh. You can go outside. You can go, like, above. Yeah. And it felt very clean, and there was distancing and all that jazz. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit, and I wanted to recommend that. Oh, that's awesome. What ferry is this? It's just like the New York ferry. It's like the public transit ferry. You can't use your Metro card. You have to buy a separate pass. But you can get it at like 96th Street in the East River and like ride down. Oh, okay. Along the east side down to like Wall Street. There's one that goes like all the way to Far Rockaways or whatever. You got to transfer. But there's one in my neighborhood. So it's pretty cool. It's like I ride my city. I like get a city bike and I like bike over and then I ride the ferry. And I'm like, ooh, I'm taking all the new means of transit that have appeared in the last 10 years. I love that. That's so fun. Yeah, I've never considered. I mean, I thought about doing the Staten Island Ferry. Like we've always talked about doing that because like you can drink on it and it would just be like a fun way to just kind of like take a boat cruise. <laughs> yeah. But I haven't yeah. considered any of the other ferries. That just sounds so fun. Yeah. They go around to different places. I recommend a map. What's that? That's a, gr- that's a really, really good idea. Yeah. It's fun. just, you know, sometimes I talk with people about how like driving in a car in the city gives you such a different perspective than just taking trains right. or even like riding on a bus gives you a different right. perspective than just riding the trains. And so the ferry is yet again, another perspective, you know, I, and a nice reminder that we live in a Harbor town. Yeah, we sure do. It's easy to forget being stuck amongst all these concrete buildings and things, but anyhow, that's a great wreck. Thank you. You're welcome. Should we get into the old taxonomy cheer? Let's kick it off. You ready? Yeah, okay. 
Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who. Taxana me. Kingdom. Idamalia. You know them. You love them. Phylum. Cordata. Spine support. Rah, rah, rah. Class. Amphibia. We haven't done one of these in a while. Order. Eurodela. Sally, Sally, Salamanders. Family. Abistomati day. Two genera. Make it Genus. up. Genus. Abistoma. Mole. Salamanders. Species. Abistoma mexicanum. You can cut off my arm, but I'll just go right back. I'm the axolotl. Meredith, I think we might have experienced some of the same internet content because the axolotl appeared in sort of the punny meme world as like you ask a lot of questions <laughs> just in the last week. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll ask a lot of questions after this report because these guys are like, I, you know what I did? I came upon this because I was thinking, what are our, what are our underrepresented classes? Like, what haven't we done in a while? Right. And I was like, oh, I haven't done an amphibian in forever. No, it's been a long time. So I typed into Google weird amphibians, and literally the first thing that came up is the axolotl. Okay. So do you know what they look like? Yeah, there's. I would say they're salamander-like, but then they sort of have almost like a frilly blue collar moment. Well, they have, I mean, depending on the coloring, which we'll talk about, but essentially it kind of looks like they have like foliage growing off the sides of their face. Right. Like right behind their eyes. It's like, it looks like there's three branches on each side. Uh Uh-huh. But we'll talk about this in a second after tax facts, but those are external gills. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But we'll talk, we'll get into all of this, okay? So it's called the axolotl, and I'm just going to spell it because this is one of those things I had no, I had to listen to the pronunciation because I was like, I'm lost here. It's spelled A-X-O-L-O-T-L, axolotl. They're famous for a number of reasons. They're kind of internet famous in the same way like the blobfish is because they've got this like really funny face, but it's very cute. They've got these like really cute smiles. So if you look up like axolotl face or axolotl smile, you'll see something that'll make you go, oh. So just to give you some of their AKAs, so they're also known as the Mexican walking fish, but total misnomer. It's not a fish. It's a type of salamander. Right, right. But they're named for the Aztec god of death and lightning, Uh Zolotl, or Zolotl. I'm not sure how, like, where the emphasis goes, but I think I heard it pronounced Zolotl. So they're named after this Aztec god, which is, like, pretty cool. And Axolotl actually translates to water monster in the Aztec native language. Okay. Tax facts. We know amphibia. This is our class. So ectothermic, meaning cold-blooded. They have no internal temperature regulation. It's all external. They're tetrapods, meaning four legs. And they typically undergo like a larval stage where they like live in water and have gills and then kind of gradually grow out of that larval stage and move on to the land and kind of get rid of their gills and their long tadpole tails. But that will not be the case with the axolotl which is so crazy and cool, but we'll talk about that momentarily. Next, we've got the order, Urodela. So this is just the order of salamanders, Sally, Sally, salamanders. And then we get to the family of Ambistomatidae, and this is composed of two genera, the mole salamanders, which is the genus of our axolotl, and then also the Pacific giant salamander. So These are uh, salamanders that live in the Pacific Northwest. 
But essentially, all of the creatures in the family, Abis Tomati Day, they live in North America, which is so fun. So these are like our neighbors. Right. Our national brethren. And then we get into the genus of Abistoma. So those are mole salamanders. And the description, this was like weird and interesting. They're Abistoma, this genus, is referred to as advanced salamanders, endemic to North America, without spending too much time on it. I couldn't find too much info on like what makes them advanced. <laughs> is it like they have all their timetables memorized or like they're really good at like high levels of like dance training. I don't know. What does advanced mean? Right. When they're in sixth grade, they're reading at a ninth grade reading level. Yeah. Yeah. They're so smart. The only thing I could find that necessarily distinguishes them is internal fertilization, I guess. So like they're fertilized internally as opposed to maybe think about like what frogs do when they release that like egg string and it's fertilized by the male as the egg string comes out. Yeah, the amplexus. Yeah, within the amplexus pose. So that's really the only thing I could like think of. Now we're into the actual genus of Abistoma mexicanum. So Mexico, the axolotl. And I got so much of this great information is presented so well from, I don't know if you've come across any of these YouTube videos. It's a YouTube series called Animal Logic. I have. And it's hosted by this really cool looking girl named Danielle Defoe. Yeah, she's great. And she wears glasses and has this like really cool purple hair. And then she also like featured in the background of these videos are always her original drawings. Uh huh. Like as the video goes on, you see the progression of the drawing. It's such a great, like, they're, like, four minutes long. They're super punchy, super to the point, super cool. Like, I just, I love her. I love them. Um, So I got a lot of this info from that. So I just wanted to give her her due credit because those programs are really great. Yeah, she's a great resource because she's an actual expert. And I find that the way that she explains things, sometimes when you're consuming animal content, terms come at you rapid fire, which is a experience we like to replicate. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like she does a particularly good job of providing the necessary context or, you know, explaining a term as it appears. I think that in terms of her as like an educational orator, I think that she's exceptional. Yeah, she's fantastic. Also, I mean, this is just me because I'm like sonically sensitive, but I just really love the sound of her voice uh-huh. too. I think she's Canadian by the accent. But <laughs> anyway, Danielle, we love you. Yeah. Anyhow, so a lot of this axolotl information comes from Danielle. And again, the YouTube series is called Animal Logic. Axolotls, in terms of where you can locate them, you can only locate them outside of like laboratories and home aquariums. They're actually a very popular home aquarium pet. But in the wild, they only exist in Chocomilco Lake Complex. So this is a lake in central Mexico, I believe near Mexico City, the Chocomilco Lake. And this is the only place where they exist in the wild. So essentially from the point of like the Spanish invasion of what is now Mexico, the axolotl population has been in like steady decline. So they were highly revered by the Aztecs. Obviously, they were named after this like crazy cool Aztec god of death and lightning. Uh-huh. It's like so metal. Trey Metalik. As Mexico City is becoming more developed, more developed, more developed over these centuries, it's just their populations have declined to the point where they are critically endangered. 
at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they mostly, I think they exist probably more in labs in home aquariums than in this actual lake. Sure. Just talking quickly about their appearance. So they are generally 6 to 18 inches long, which is like a pretty big span. But most of them are going to be around like 9 inches. But they can get pretty big, like over a foot. And as I mentioned earlier, they're kind of known for their derpy smiles. They just look so cute. And then they've got these little like arms, derpy smiles, wide heads, beady, lidless eyes, and then those external gill stalks that we talked about. Wow. So there are these like three stalks that essentially come off the side of their face. They look leafy almost. So it looks like foliage. But this is how they breathe underwater. These are their gills. That's great. Yeah. What's interesting though is that they need these gills. They never grow out of these gills because they always live underwater because, vocab alert, axolotls are what is called neotenic. 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 Yeah, say it with me. Neotenic. Neotenic. Which means that they reach maturity without metamorphosis. Ah. The easiest way to think about this, so we all probably talked about this in like elementary school biology with frogs. So frogs, they hatch from their eggs and then they spend time in this tadpole stage, this juvenile stage where they have gills still because they still live in the water and they've got these long tails, right? And then kind of when they're a little older, like teenage tadpoles, you start to see them grow the four legs, right? And then as they mature into like fully developed adults and they make their transition onto the land, they kind of lose their long tails. You've got the fully formed four legs and then they lose their gills because they don't necessarily need them anymore because they're living terrestrially now. But this never happens for the axolotl. Interesting. Which is why an adult essentially looks like a big old tadpole with like ferns growing off the side of its face. Right, right. Well, when we were talking earlier about its ferns, I was thinking that it looks similar to some of the structures that I've seen on tadpoles before they become frogs. Yeah. That was an interesting journey for me, that that's exactly what it is, is that they just never move past that stage. Right. Yeah, they're just kind of stuck there. And Danielle on Animal Logic, it was really cute. She's like, they retain their juvenile features, just like us millennials. (laughs) 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 It was really cute. But essentially, they, you know, like other salamanders would go through this phase, but... um, So they would typically lose their gills, those long dorsal fins um, in the back, and then move on to land, like I said. But what is so freaking weird is, like, in a laboratory setting, for some reason, if you would inject an axolotl with iodine, it triggers the metamorphosis gene, which means that they will develop into a more terrestrial creature, get rid of the gills, and come to resemble something more like a tiger salamander. (sighs) which is in the same genus, is terrestrial, but it's another very popular aquarium amphibian as well. Isn't that like the most insane thing? So there's like a way to hack your axolotl so it becomes another creature that otherwise doesn't exist? Yes. Speaking of hacking axolotls, you know what else? When you hack an axolotl, if you hack off a limb, it'll just regenerate it perfectly. Wow. This is actually what that movie from the 90s, Hackers, was all about. Hacking off your axolotl limbs in the name of science. And injecting your axolotl with a lot of iodine so it morphs. 
stuff is just insane. So yes, they've got crazy regenerative abilities, but we've talked about this as like in terms of our sea stars or even our skink friends, like you, like they have the tail that can detach and they can regenerate it. But this, the axolotl's regenerative abilities are like next level, like five infinity levels up because listen to this, it, it can regenerate a limb. It can also regenerate its spinal cord, its tail, its skin. It can even regenerate parts of its heart. It's insane. And it can all happen like over and over and over and over again. Like with no scarring, you would never even be able to tell it was like a fifth generation regenerated limb. Right. Like it will always come back perfectly every time. This happens because essentially... Like, say you cut off an axolotl arm, okay? At this amputation site, the cells that were there, like the skin cells, the blood cells, the bone cells, they essentially kind of lose their identity as all those cells and just kind of transform into essentially stem cells that then do the work to actively regenerate all of the skin cells, bone cells, blood cells necessary to regenerate the arm, mind-blowing. So obviously they're highly valued in the scientific community for this ability and studying this ability and how we might be able to use it for like burn victims or even cancer patients or amputees and things like that. So to try to like harness this ability of the axolotl, like whereas if you cut off a human arm, like there would be a regeneration of skin cells to kind of scar over the wound and cover it up with new skin cells. But they're not obviously none of that regenerative ability. Right. Like the axolotls will have. Right. So it's nuts. And you could even like, you know, Danielle referred to it on Animal Logic. She was like, oh, yeah. She's like, they even have a plug and play ability. So you could take an amputated axolotl arm and put it on another axolotl and it'll just like stick on there and generate. (laughs) It'll attach itself. Wait, really? Yeah. And check this out. There was an instance, I think in the 60s, where they amputated a head from one axolotl and put it on the back of another axolotl. So you had an axolotl with another head on its back, and it went on to live for like well over another year with like an extra head stuck on his back. Did it like function? The other head function? I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. I think because I know like even with brain tissue, they can regenerate brain tissue as well. So I do think it was a functioning head. That's some, like, human centipede shit. Well, yeah, I think there is some um, questionable ethics as far as some of this stuff goes. I mean, obviously, this is such a, like, a valuable realm of science. But the thought of, like, these poor axolotls being in the lab just to be, like, chopped up and recombined with one another, it's very icky to me. But at the same time, I think given their regenerative properties, it's... I guess it's okay. I don't know. I really don't know how I feel about this, but so bizarre, nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like pretty much everything I have. Oh, another cool thing about them is like the kind of colors that they will come in. So I think a lot of times the ones you'll see in aquariums are the ones that are going to be kind of like pale pink with like the little black eyes. But in the wild, they're typically brown and tan with gold specks. But you can also get albino ones, gray ones. Or black ones as well. So I know a lot of like home aquarium axolotl enthusiasts will kind of like mate them in different ways to create these various colorings for their axolotls. If you've never looked at one, look one up. They're pretty cute. 
especially with their little arms. The way their arms attach to their body, it's very well, all salamanders look almost like reptile like. They're like reptile like amphibians. Uh-huh. In that they've got these long, kind of thin bodies with a a long tail. And then like the Komodo dragon, remember how it just looked like somebody stuck his arms on the side of his body right. at like right angles. Right, right. So they have those characteristic Komodo dragon like arms as well. But they're like super cute and I love their face ferns. <laughs> yeah. The face ferns are outrageous. But yeah, so that's like pretty much all I have on the axolotl. But man, what a crazy fascinating creature. And I was like, again, I feel like this keeps happening to me that I'll like kind of go down my rabbit hole, uh, my swamp rabbit hole to do one of these creatures. And I just end up like so amazed at the story that I find there. Yeah, I think that's right on. I think that you've kind of accurately stated what the experience is. Yeah. Meredith, I don't know. I'm really taken <laughs> by the fact that the axolotl hasn't completed its metamorphosis in a sense. Right. And that human interference can cause it to. That is really complicated emotionally to me right now. I know. It is a little. It's. Yeah, it's all just so like ethically murky in a lot of ways. But endlessly fascinating, I guess. I think it's time for a break. Amen. Hey, Georgina. Oh, hey, Layla. My goodness, you are positively radiant. Motherhood really suits you. How are you and your new puppies doing? Georgina, you are too kind. You know, I'm certainly blessed to have such a happy, healthy litter of pups. But let me tell you, I do miss my old dog, Bod. I used to be the cutest pit bull on the block. Layla, what are you talking about? You look fantastic. The dog dudes always drool when you walk by. You would never even know you gave birth to seven puppies last week. Tell that to my body, Georgina. Just look at my sagging nipples. I understand that big swollen nipples are part of the pit bull motherhood experience, but they do make it really painful to walk around. I mean, they practically drag the ground. Swollen nipples are a major problem for our breed in particular. But have you heard about Brand Clubby's new Pawnique? Canine Cups for Pity Titties? Canine Cups for Pity Titties? You mean Brand Clubby has expanded into the world of dog undergarments? They sure have. Didn't you notice my new dog thong? Oh, cute, Georgina. It really showcases your meaty thighs and buns. I love that leopard print design. Well, if you like this print, you'll be sure to love all of the fun prints in the Pawnique line. Do you like to show off your feminine side with floral prints? Or are you more of a va-va-voom vixen who likes racy reds? Or maybe just sleek and simple black? Honestly, Georgina, they all sound so sexy. But how does Pawnee Canine Cups for Pity Titties work? Oh my gosh, it's so easy. Just position yourself over your Pawnee bra and have a human simply fasten it over your back. And voila! Just feel all 10 of your swollen, tired nipples gently cradled by Pawnee's patented buttery smooth canine cups. Georgina, I needed Pawnee like yesterday. Where can I get one? Or five? Just go to the Brand Clubby web portal and use my code PITNIPS for 20% off at checkout. Oh! Oh! Well, 
as we talked about last week, Animal Magazines, here it is. Thought we would just, like, revisit. The spookiest of all the bumper music. Yeah, it was perfect for right after our spooky skeleton shrimp. Well, before our spooky skeleton. Oh, it will be before. Excuse me. Well, I just inadvertently threw open the barn doors on the order in which we record. (laughs) Oops. The first segment's becoming a lot about throwing open the barn doors on our process, which is kind of fun. It's okay. I love doing that. Everyone deserves to know. I kind of went with an interesting take on animal magazines because this I, this magazine is actually, I think, more of a zine in the sense of it's more, um, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say homespun is like a pejorative thing, but it's just like a DIY kind of thing. Definitely that it's of that spirit. This magazine is called Bite Back. And this is actually essentially the publication to support animal rights prisoners of conscience and report on current events in the struggle, the the struggle being essentially animal liberation. So it's associated with the Animal Liberation Front. Wow. So I don't know if you've done any research lately on, like, domestic terrorism. They don't call themselves a terrorist group. They claim they are always using nonviolent means to, to, say, release chickens from you know, slaughtering situations or like rescuing animals from research labs and things like that. So they claim they do this by nonviolent means and that no one ever gets hurt, but they do use like explosives and other things to achieve their goals. Right. So Bite Back Magazine is their zine, essentially. So founded in 2001 by Nicholas Atwood. So back issues, I loved this. Back issues of Bite Back can be downloaded from a site called the Talon Conspiracy. Oh. I was like, wow, that's like a band name just needing to be plucked out. And so topics for Bite Back will include essentially like you just get a lot of lists of direct action that's been taken around the world. So there'll be like a link you can click on like wild boar freed in France or magpie freed from trap in Italy. Whoa. And on the covers, if it's not some like really sad picture of like animals in awful conditions or in awful captivity conditions it'll depict a person in like a black hoodie obviously their face won't be shown but they'll be holding some sort of like rescued animal right i saw one that like he was holding like two white rats or another one who's like holding a beagle another one i think with like a bunny or like a little chick that's bite back magazine i love that meredith yeah what about you What do you have for us? I have something much gentler. (laughs) It's called Butterfly Gardener. Oh, I love that. It's published quarterly by NABA, the North American Butterfly Association. Fun. Yeah. Articles are varied in nature. They can include information on community or school butterfly garden projects, raising caterpillars, native plants, book reviews, or any topic that explores the relationship between butterflies and gardens or plants. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There's a chance online to read the entire summer 2012 issues, which is devoted to the pros and cons of the butterfly bush. Is that, I guess that's like a type of plant Yes, to attract. I guess classically the plant that you put in your garden if you're trying to attract butterflies and turn a normal garden into a butterfly garden. Oh, the most whimsical magazine of them all. Yeah. So here's a couple from volume 25, which is 2020. So there's spring 2020, the 
volume 25, number one, includes native nectar plants for migrating monarchs at East Coast sites. Cool. There's a book review, Nebraska's Forest Butterflies. There's a poem with photos and texts by Casey Lane. And then there's an article called Wanted Alive in Your Garden, question mark caterpillars. And Wanted Alive in Your Garden seems to be a theme. Because in volume 25, number two, summer 2020, we have Wanted Alive in Your Garden, variegated fertility caterpillars. And then in number three, fall 2020, Wanted Alive in Your Garden, gray hair streak caterpillars. Yeah. So it just seems like a really fun, sort of slightly whimsical approach to butterflies and butterfly gardens. The summer 2012 issue, which you can read online, is very fun layout. Oh, cool. Wait, what was the title of the magazine again? The name of the magazine is Butterfly Gardener. Oh, Gardener. Ah, I see. I see. Wow. So we've got pond enthusiasm. We've got animal liberation enthusiasm. Now we're on to... Butterfly garden enthusiasm. Yes. How fun. Animal Fan Club is going to take a firm stance against eco-terrorism. Yes. All right. Well, that was a great edition of Animal Magazines. Texana, you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. We're not necessarily fans of oranges. Phylum. Arthropoda. Exoskeletons are excellent. Class. Malacostraca. The largest class of crustacean. Order. Amphipoda. No carapace. Laterally compressed. Family. Caprellidae. Spooky, scary skeleton shrimp. Genus. Caprella. 170 species. Species. Mutica. Is that the sound of a xylophone? Nope. It's the Japanese skeleton shrimp. Ooh. Still on your shrimp journey, Mike? Yeah, I am in fact still on my shrimp journey. I don't know what it is with arthropods. Definitely fascinated by them lately, though. Yeah. So phylum, insects, crustaceans, arachnids, myriapods are all in the phylum arthropoda. The subphylum is where it breaks down. That's where we get to crustaceans. Then the class, Malacostraca, is the largest of the six crustacean classes. We got crabs. We got lobsters. We got crayfish. We got shrimp. We got krill, wood lice, amphipods, mantis shrimp, etc. <laughs> Super order, Paracarida, which is chiefly defined by having a brood pouch, a.k.a. the marsupium which is on the females. Oh, like our marsupial friends in their pouches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the mothers have marsupiums. It's one of the largest crustacean taxa. There's about 1,200 species. Now we get to the order Amphipoda. No carapace, generally laterally compressed bodies. This is where we are no longer on the trajectory of true shrimp which are in the order Decapoda, the prawns, uh-huh. and then shrimp in the suborders Dendro, Brachiata, or the infraorder Caridia. This in, I'm telling you, insect taxonomy is fucking bonkers, or I should say arthropod taxonomy. Now we're at family, Caprellidae, which is the skeleton shrimps. Sometimes they're called the ghost shrimp. We have eight genera and three subfamilies. Ooh. Is there a reason why they're called skeleton or ghost shrimp? Yes. Yes. One of the first reasons is that we're in the middle of the spookiest month, October. 
Uh-huh. But the other reason is that they don't really look like shrimp oh. the way that you think shrimp look. Okay. Okay. Let me... S- I'm sending you a photo, Meredith, that we're going to have to po- put on the Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't really look like a shrimp. It kind of looks like a bony finger with like protuberances, I guess you could say. Yeah. It just looks like a real creepy like fucked up skeleton hand or something. Yeah. And it's also called the ghost shrimp because it's kind of transparent. That was my question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're slender and thread-like. And so they just kind of hide with seaweed and hyoids and bryozoans and they just disappear. Like that's how they hide out. Cool. Yeah. It's, we have the same kind of head, thorax, abdomen situation, but it's slightly different. The cephalon is the head against ceph, like cephalopod head. We're familiar with that. Perion is the thorax and then the abdomen. And so the abdomen's kind of like the, you know, maybe the familiar part, I guess, with the kind of like curly stuff with the bits coming off of it. Yeah. And then on the Perion, they have like some claws. And then up by the cephalon, they have like more claws. And then they also have different sets of antenna they have two sets of antenna yeah i'm seeing yeah each segment of the perion has a pair of appendages known as periopods (laughs) the first two are modified into raptorial appendages known as nathropods which are used for feeding and defense and locomotion and then like you know they're just they're just kind of kooky they're just strange looking creatures i i didn't really know what it was until well, I guess I feel like I've maybe seen things that look like this, but I I don't know. This is bizarre AF, man. It's pretty strange. Looking at this diagram, it's like the abdomen looks like it's at its butt. Yeah, I know. I know. What is up with that skeleton shrimp? Come on. Yeah, it's a kind of a strange, it's definitely strange looking. Yeah, it's the perfect Halloween month creature, I will say. Yeah. They're typically sexually dimorphic. Males are larger than the females. So that was all order. Okay, now we're at genus, the Corella, which is a large genus of skeleton shrimps. There's about 170. And then the species, Mutica, the Japanese skeleton shrimp. They're an average of 1 to 1.2 inches for the males and then 0.6 to 0.8 inches for the females. So the males are almost twice as large as the females. They are native to the shallow, protected bodies of waters in the Sea of Japan, but In as little as 40 years, they've become an invasive species throughout the North Atlantic, North Pacific, and the coast of New Zealand. Whoa. Yeah. It's most likely because of global maritime traffic and aquaculture. Outside of their native range, they are almost exclusively synanthropic, which means that they live amongst human environments. So humans have a tendency to create semi-artificial environments around themselves, and synanthropic animals thrive in those environments so like pigeons and rats and cockroaches are examples of that yeah we talked about this with the housefly too i think that was the first time we heard that vocab word right so we've talked about the nathropods the nathropods are powerful and curved into a scimitar like shape they're pretty cool the nathropods are pretty so this is like they're i guess kind of we're applying this to maybe like 
I don't know, another crab or something that looks similar, even like a lobster. It's like their front claws kind of, right? That's a way to think about the nathropods. Yeah, I would say like when you look at it and you identify the things that look like claws, those are the nathropods. Yeah. And they kind of have like a sort of like inverted pincer. You know how like in crabs, how they kind of like close from the base, like close to the wrist? Uh Uh-huh. The nathropods kind of curve over. So when they close, they kind of like... Yeah. Against. Well, it's kind of like, it looks like you're like curling up your hands, like into each other. Exactly. They exhibit exciting reproductive habits. The males typically engage in aggressive boxing matches that can often be lethal. These matches are to fight over females and to defend females from competing males. So male mortality is very high because they're just always fighting. They're like defending females and like their virtue. Yeah. It's very chivalrous. It's quite chivalrous. (laughs) For the boxing matches, they don't put gloves on their nathropods. They just punch with them, you know? I wonder if they put, because they're kind of curled up in the way I remember like the mantis shrimp was. I wonder if they kind of like use a similar like, I don't know, punching motion that the mantis shrimp used. Mm. So it's like you've got these mm. coiled up, like curled up little nathropods, and then maybe they kind of like flick them out. Yeah. Well, they also will just use their nathropods to slice their opponent in half. Oh, well, there's that too. Yeah. That's one way to do it. <laughs> Pretty metal. <laughs> so they get into the amplexus pose, which is the kind of male behind the female. Mm-hmm. And that lasts about 10 to 15 minutes for the mating process. And that's when afterwards the male will defend the female for about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the female begins to exhibit aggressive behavior to drive off males. I feel that. Then they'll bend their fourth and fifth perionite at a 90 degree angle. And then once their genital opening, which is on their fifth perionite, (laughs) is aligned with the opening of the brood pouch, they quickly deposit fertilized eggs into them. Okay. Yeah. And then once they're carrying fertilized eggs, the females will be highly aggressive towards males throughout their brooding period, indicating that they have maternal behavior. Oh. Protecting their embryos from male aggression. Like a good mommy does. Brood pouches contain anywhere from three to 363 eggs, averaging at 74. The larger the female, the more eggs generally. The eggs will be incubated in the brood pouch for 30 to 40 days, and then they'll hatch. Mm -hmm. They like other amphipods, lack a planktonic larval stage, and the hatchlings resemble miniature adults. So interesting life cycles in both of our creatures. They may cling to their mommies after hatching, and the ladies will continue to protect their offspring, at least the ones that stick around. They'll molt an average of once each week until they enter the premature stage, becoming sexually differentiated at the fifth instar. And instar is a vocab word. It's a instar is the developmental stage of arthropods between each molt. So the fifth instar is the fifth period between. Okay. I'm not sure if you are born and that's your first first instar, or if you have to molt to have to arrive at your first instar. Instar zero is where you begin. So the males increase in size faster with each successive molt after their seventh instar. And then the women, on the other hand, produce their first brood at the seventh instar. So the seventh is kind of a 
magic number. That's when the ladies start having babies, and that's when the dudes start getting jacked. Yeah. The average lifespan in laboratory conditions is 68.8 days for males and 82 days for females. Oh, wow. It's not super long. So then them as an invasive species, like I said, they're all over the world, particularly in the North Atlantic, North Pacific, and in New Zealand, which seem to have similar climates to Japanese waters. Oh, okay. That makes I sense. Guess. <laughs> but part of the reason why they're so invasive is because they're so aggressive and they'll just get into these intense fights and cut their opponents in half. So they tend to do that to smaller species of skeleton shrimp so oh, they can decimate shit. native populations because it's they're so like, aggressive. I mean, not to bring up cane toads again, but I'm going to do it. This sounds a little cane toad-like. Yes. Like the number one invasive species of all time, the cane toad. They would just kind of like eat anything and everything in its path. Yeah. Um, well, that's pretty much all I have, Meredith. Do you have anything else? Oh, my goodness. Are these eaten at all? Are they valued for their delicious flesh? Not that I've found. They are very small. It's just hard to hear shrimp and not get a little hungry. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, do you want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. The wait is over. The time is Come now. walk on the wild side. And unleash your inner beast. Lek. The animal kingdom's hottest new night. Where nature's spot. hottest male singles aggregate to show off. The hottest competitive displays and courtship rituals. Three full bars. Five habitat-themed dance And boys. guest DJs. Get ready to pick your At mate. Lek. Must be of breeding age to enter. Oh, do you have a cold too? Is that why you're sniffly? No. Oh. In fact, after this, I'm going to go get my flu shot to hopefully ensure I do not get a cold. Oh, well then uh, I guess we're just in the feedback then. We sure are, Amanda. Well, Peter from Bismarck, North Dakota asks... Do pelicans prefer petunias or peonies? Oh, that's a fun question. I love pelicans. But I've never contemplated their floral proclivities. I mean, I, I guess for our listeners, let's just distinguish what does a petunia look like and what does a peony look like? I think I know. So the petunias are kind of those like round ones that are like pinks and whites and reds. And That's petunias? Yeah, and they're kind of almost funnel shaped. Okay. And then peonies are more like full, like there's lots and lots of little petals, right? About like fist size. Yeah. Hmm. I think that pelicans prefer petunias because I think that pelicans see their kind of like gullet system like echoed in the funnel-like shape of the petunia. Ooh, I like that. See, I was thinking peonies just because I prefer peonies, but I'm not a pelican. So what the fuck am I thinking trying to like impose my desires and my likes and my floral proclivities onto this pelican. So I'm going to agree with you because I think your reasoning is very sound. Okay. Well, that was very easy then. It sure was. Fish position. Ding, ding, ding. Pelicans like petunias. Well, they prefer petunias. Prefer petunias. It's not that they dislike peonies. I hear you. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, William from Hollywood, Florida wants to know, if you were a cat, 
what would your markings be? Oh, man. I would love to be a cat of any markings. But, excuse me, I think I'm pretty um, partial to Claude, my sweet little prince, my cat, who lives with my mom. But I really love his coloring because he has just these like crazy bright blue eyes and then he's cream colored, but then around his ears and face, he's kind of like got like little red tips, red hair. And I kind of have reddish hair and like blue green eyes. So it's not that far of a stretch. Uh-huh. What about you, Mike? You could even think of yourself as like a character in Cats, the musical. Like what would your what would your unitard look like? I mean, I think that just the same way that well, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that, Meredith. I don't know which cat I would be in Cats the Musical. That's a tough question. But I know that my markings as a cat, I would definitely be a tabby cat. Yeah. And probably a mackerel tabby cat, honestly. A mackerel tabby cat? Yeah, that's, you know, it's like a term that I just found. Is it spelled like the fish? It's spelled like the fish, yeah. Hold on, I gotta look this up now, because I'm not... I do consider myself kind of like a cat breed expert, but I've never heard of a mackerel have tabby. A mackerel tabby cat. It's kind of the traditional tabby, like browns and blacks, sort of with like a light tan. Mackerel tabby cat. Oh, yeah, that's like, oh, they're standard. That's, that's standard tabby, but they're so cute. They're so cute. They're so pretty. Yeah, so it's kind of that, like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of a mixture of, like, grays and blacks and kind of browny, stripies, golds in there. So cute. This looks like my brother's cat, Geo. Sure. He's a mackerel cat. Sure. Oh, I could look at these pictures all day. Oh, babies. Cute. All right. Well, I guess Mike would be a mackerel tabby. And I would be a flame tip short hair. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Well, Steph from Redondo asks, what's the most popular birthday gift for a five-year-old Komodo dragon? Okay. If I were a five-year-old Komodo dragon, what would I want? I think I would just want a tasty snack. I mean, I don't think they want much else in life. I imagine maybe some sort of like dental hygiene, maybe an oral antiseptic mouthwash. Yes. Oh, gross. I forgot about their constantly bleeding gums. Yeah, perhaps that would be good for them. Good call, Mike. You're really nailing it today with your answers and the feedback. Oh, thanks. I don't know. I guess I'm just feeling a lot of oat energy. Yeah, these oats are suiting you today. Um, well, is that the official position then, that it's some sort of oral hygiene package? Yeah, some sort of oral hygiene package. You know, a food, a food treat is too obvious. All right. Well, fish position. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Ding-a-ling, ding, ding-dong. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun episode. Yeah, it has been. Um, good luck with your cane toad situation. Oh. May you have more luck eradicating it from your throat than the good people of Australia have had eradicating the cane toad from New South Wales or wherever the hell it is. I think it was like Queensland, if I remember correctly. Thank you, Mike. I'm going to work on it very hard, very hard this weekend to eradicate the cane toad. King told you coming. King told you coming. Well, keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Main roads are humming with King Toad Blues.
Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really Thanks helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.